Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Carruthers, and this time we'll be talking about bimodal data analytics. My guest today is Khaled Alf. I've known Khaled for years, and we've often chatted about the next big thing in data. And nowadays, the new big thing is AI, and it's super important to get your data architecture right. Khaled has worked extensively on corporate data strategies, having established over 20 data estate strategies across education, finance, energy, logistics, and construction sectors. His current day job is at Snowflake, where he is their practice lead, practice director for professional services in Australia and New Zealand. Hi, Khaled. Hey, Kate. Thanks so much for hosting uh, me on this uh, on this uh, podcast. I'm really delighted that we're finally getting to have this chat. So tell tell us about what this topic that we're going to talk about today is. Excellent. So how about we start with the definition, right? And and this 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 terminology was coined by Gartner, I think in 2014, 16, quite a while back, right? And and it's it's uh, it's really interesting to see that not a lot of organizations have really you know, gotten it right uh, uh, this late in the game. So let's start with the definition. So bimodal, it's the practice of managing two separate but coherent styles of work. One focused on predictability, the other focused on exploration. So mode one is optimized for areas that are more predictable, well understood. Think your regular BI reporting, your enterprise reporting, everything your CFOs, CIOs, and executives need to look at on a day-to-day basis. Um, it focuses on exploiting what's known uh, while renovating the legacy environment into a state that is fit for a digital world. Mode two is the ones that we see uh, most organizations typically struggle with, uh, which is exploratory analytics. Um, that That is basically experimenting, right? To solve new problems, um, optimize for areas of uncertainty. And how you typically see organizations deal with that is they do MVPs, not most valuable players, minimum viable product approaches, right? Where they do little proof of concepts, little proof of uh, uh, um, uh, values to try to figure out how something new is working. And and so both modes are essential to create uh, a substantial value drive uh, and and to really um, um, propagate significant organizational change. Um, and neither of them is static. You know, every time we build one of these architectures or build a data architecture in, in today's modern world, they they come up with a new best practice, and you have to really start all over again. So, bimodal is essentially promoting an architecture or promoting uh, a set of people, processes, and technology that can really focus on not just the optimized, predictable workloads, but to also have a methodology to be more exploratory and 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 do those proof of values and, and minimum viable products. So so tell tell us why tell us about why we should care about this. Let's delve into that a bit because you know at, at my place now we're currently um, getting rid of our SQL data warehouse um, because we realised that when we started doing machine learning in production we had to pull data out of the data warehouse and f- to feed our machine learning and it was like. That's extra work. So we had to re-architect. So let's talk a bit about that. Excellent. Like, you know, what, what that's one thing, right? And and that's kind of that's even delving into like a little bit trimodal. And I'll talk about that in a while, but let's focus on, you know, how, how where can you see or what are the typical, you know, things that you you really have to listen for to understand if you need bimodal or not. 
there are a lot of organizations today where you know you you see shadow IT functions. So let's delve into that terminology. What does shadow IT really mean? What it really means is that you know your classic IT infrastructure, your your central data hub is unable to provide something to one of the departments. So what they do is they go and spin off their own little thing. You know the sometimes separate technology, sometimes you know separate uh, um, processes or or people, and they do that because they're trying to solve a problem, essentially a proof of value. And so if you don't have something within your core data team, within your core data strategy that is tailored specifically for these proof of values, you will get shadow IT within an organization. I, I don't like the word shadow IT because that actually implies that the people are doing something wrong and they're just trying to get their jobs done. I don't, I really don't approve of the, the term shadow IT and I, I often uh, stop our IT folks from using it. That's you know that's an excellent way of looking at it. When you when you when you really delve into what bimodal is trying to do, that's essentially what it's trying to say. It's trying to say these people they're not evil, they're not you know shadow IT or bad IT. They're trying to get their jobs done, and you need to figure out a way to keep them you know within the broader ecosystem, the broader data strategy, and not treat them as outcasts, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know typically what happens in today's world, right? They they are seen as uh, outcasts, at least by the IT organization. Yeah. And the problem that, that I have with with what the so-called shadow IT is they're kind of gifted amateurs at protecting their data and they don't know what they're doing from a cybersecurity and information security perspective. So there's a lot of data risk associated with it. So they're trying to solve a business problem, but they don't know what they don't know. And we need to kind of embrace them rather than shun them as shadow IT. Correct, exactly. And so that's essentially it, right? When you've got a pattern associated with developing minimum viable product, not rigorous, but you build a minimum amount of security in that pattern. You build a minimum amount of data quality and governance in that pattern. And so whichever way you look at it, the outcome of having that as part of the central data strategy is is you know it, it's it's more beneficial to the organization as a whole than to just let these divisions and departments go out and try to figure it out on their own because typically these things they they take kind of a back seat right they're really focused on getting their business outcomes and and they don't really you know delve too much or put too much focus on the things that we focus on for a living, like security and governance and data quality and, and all of these, you know, really great things that are absolutely uh, needed for, for the data set and output to, to become reliable. So how, how would you say that an organization needs to go about having the ability to do their, their bog standard business intelligence stuff and do this innovation stuff? So what does it look like? That's a great question. So if you look at you know everything that we do. It's it's not just technology, right? Technology is usually the easiest part of the puzzle, but there's there's a lot of people and process that comes into play when setting up a data architecture. And so, if you've set up your data architecture and you don't have processes, that's where it starts, right? If you don't have processes that specifically define how to do these minimum viable product approaches, you're not going to really be rescued by just your technology, right? It needs to be something that you've thought of holistically. And so 
a typical process that we see, you know, the tier one organizations that have really done a really good job at getting this right is to say, you know, to do an MVP, you start with a data set that we don't know anything about. We vet that data set. We put it into a data zone within our enterprise data architecture. We give you access to that data set through our, you know, approved front end. Um, you know, without naming tools, whatever that is. And then Mm -hmm. you can play around with it and you can create your minimum viable product. And when it's time for you to be, to want to publish something, we'll even support you publishing that data set to the rest of the world. I think we need to unpack that a bit because implicit in what you just said is things like that there is a data catalog that they can look at and understand what's there that they can choose from and that there's an appropriate security model over the top of the data so that they can't see things they're not supposed to. So let's unpack that a bit for folks. Exactly. You know, that's a, that's also really good. I mean, most of the time when you're looking at this exploratory analytics, right, it's not in its entirety new. So it's not a massive new CRM, for instance. That That wouldn't really apply as exploratory BI. So they're usually using let's say 70% of the governed data sets that you've spent a lot of time articulating, you've got a well-understood data dictionary. And again, this is all dreams for some organizations, but assuming that you've done that effort and you have a data dictionary and the users know what they're accessing, this is more really about, you know, that extra 30%. So you've got this, you know, little data set, it's not part of our enterprise analytics and you want to marry it up to everything that you see in your day-to-day. And so, all of these rules and, and regulations will apply if you build inside your architecture a way for them to import a data set that may not be 100% governed and secured from day one, but you'll also know that when you're publishing the MVP because it'll be an MVP and it'll follow a different process that's less rigorous, less rigorous than you know a regular uh, um, analytical use case uh, would be. And and sometimes you know we talk a, a, a lot about data quality and 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 data catalogs etc. But another thing that you typically see happening when you've created this this uh, this second mode of operating is the data set would go all the way from zero to hero, and the, the end users would simply not use it because the result of this minimum viable product is we don't actually need it. And so if you think about the time that you've saved for all these IT, the poor IT folks that would have spent months and months curating this and figuring out what the usage would look like and figuring out what the security would look like and putting it into the system. And then at the end of all of that effort, the business users go, oh, all right, thanks for thanks for doing that. We've actually realized that we don't we don't need this. So I've, I've just really had a I've had a weird visual pop into my head. So really, the innovation comes first. And the operational mode comes second. Realistically, that's how you're getting good quality inputs so that things turn into sort of your business as usual. Correct. And we're following the business. They, we can't, any process that you put into place where you're trying to get the business to follow the IT, you know, it, it just typically doesn't, doesn't go well, right? Because the business, they want to be operating at their pace. You know, they've, they've got objectives, they've got, you know, targets that they have to meet, and they're just going to, need something quicker than than a you know a six month deployment process that's led by IT. Yeah. So you you remember those bad old days with the old IT waterfall projects that went for two years oh, yeah. and then someone threw something over the fence and nobody wanted it anymore. Um, but 
how how about for some of the less mature organizations that don't have a lot of this that might be wanting to start out what sort of things do you think they should be looking at doing i mean i, I think there's no real organization that i've seen that's too small to set a process up kate like you know, unless unless you can tell me with with a great deal of faith that you don't have any users that are you know bringing data sets together in Excel, using all types of VLOOKUP functions to to come up with some new data set, then maybe if you can if you can attest to that and you can say, oh, my organization doesn't do that at all. You know, everything's highly regulated and and we don't need to to do that. Then then maybe you don't need that that type of MVP process, but for for the majority of of customers across the entire span of how large and small you can be you you at least need a process um uh, that 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 really helps people innovate and helps people experiment um with giving them some governance of course but but still gives them some some exploratory analytics yeah i think we did some work together a couple of years ago and that led to us setting up a working group for our main users and they basically bring us all of their excel spreadsheets that they cobble together from various csds and we we automate those and you know that's been a really reliable source of new business for us for a long time uh, but you know it was it was funny when we had that realization that we could actually improve productivity in the business by just saying, we'll automate that for you. Stop spending hours a week trying to do this yourself. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I take this as a, as, a, as a point of pride for sure, but I think you were the very first customer that actually productionized uh, in Australia that, that uh, exploratory BI by, by having a zone, I remember, in, in the data lake and then asking your users to use that zone, et cetera. But it, it really, you know, it does wonders because you don't feel like an enemy to the rest of the departments anymore. And they can see that you're you're transforming and trying to, you know, help them with all of their use cases, not just the enterprise ones. Yeah. Hey, so now, but we've, we've talked a lot about the benefits and some of the stuff that we ought to think about. What about some of the risks around this stuff? Oh yes. Well, everything comes with inherent risks, right? If if you're if you're bringing in a zone and 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 asking users or telling users to put, you know, their their unclassified, unvetted data in there, and then propagating a deployment model as well um, for them to actually deploy the results of these experiments. One of the risks is if you are not very, very careful about how you classify data sets and, and how you classify reports, an end user that is unknowing of the fact that this is a proof of value can look at some of these numbers and, and make a decision because it's coming out of IT. It's coming out of you know, their analytical system. And so you could get a lot of you know, blowback uh, um, related to, hey, you know, this report this is, is on our website. Experimental, so you yeah. need things like bright pink headers on things. And Something stuff. like that, yeah. But what if somebody removes the bright pink header and 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 you know replaces it with a with the UNSW logo? You know, so you've always got these risks that you you need to really be careful around as well. Yeah. So, um, I think though that some of the some of the risk would be also in in the need for the cyber and information security protection stuff and I think you'd kind of touched on it with the need for classification of understanding what data we want to be you know publicly available what stuff we want to be confidential and having those regimes set up 
that you can overlay on onto your data and the data outputs. Hundred percent, and and again, that's one of the benefits of of having that type of process within core IT because you know we're we're heading towards a direction in the in the new world where classification algorithms are you know second nature part of the architecture. You know they can go go in and automatically find where all the PII data is in um, um, the entirety of your data set. They classify it by themselves. They tell you about it. You know, there are a lot of tools that do that now in, in, in each of the, the data ecosystems, you know, whether you're using Microsoft, uh, uh, Google or, or Amazon. And so when, when you're propagating that data discovery into the core IT system, if you've got tools and processes in place that identify, you know, classified data sets, they'll also be able to have access to that data and, and they'll be able to warn you, hey, watch out. This, this actually has some PII data in it. But if you if you leave everything outside, or if you leave those ex- exploratory use cases outside of your enterprise analytical platform, you're not going to get that warning, and and you don't know what's going to happen with the data, which is really dangerous. So that that's the big sell point for for bimodal, isn't it? Because it's part of your overall architecture, it's happening in a planned and structured way, and it's not just out there on its own. And you get the benefits of of sort of enterprise approach, which seems to me to be the, the biggest benefit. You touched on trimodal. What the hell's trimodal? <laughs> well, like 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 you said at the beginning, right? Like with AI coming in to the picture and and all of these new patterns that are constantly evolving. One of the patterns that I'm sure you realized as well early on in your career is. After we'd, we'd established everything and, and we have this exploratory BI and everything's working pretty well, um, we had data science, you know, this data science blow up, essentially, that happened a couple of years ago. And after we curated... so long ago now. Yeah, it is, right? And, and, and after we'd curated everything and, and we were 100% like, you know, confident that this is it, we're, we've got our architecture uh, uh, really well lined up. Data scientists came in and started saying, okay, thanks for curating all of this. We don't actually want any of that. So could you please give us access to all your raw data um, and all your... Well, no. So we, we had a different experience. So we 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 thought that they would want the raw data, the data scientists, and we gave them the raw data and they were like, we don't understand this. So they wanted it semi-structured. So, you know, they wanted things like where things had weird codes on them, numeric, alphanumeric codes, they wanted them categorised into this is a category of things with a name so that they knew what it was. So we've, we've gone with a, a proper um, bronze, silver, gold architecture now. Um, yep. So we give our data science people ac- access to the silver. So it's just up from raw, but it's not yet gold. So that's yep. that's a kind of approach that we've gone with. But yeah, they didn't want um, raw data. They were like, we don't understand what this means. Yeah, that's you know, you'll get different breeds and and methodologies with the data scientists. But you know, they they essentially forced us to rethink our you know initial strategy of mm-hmm. gold is the only real access layer that we're going to give access access to people uh, to. And so you know, they wanted the system of record direct access to the system of record, everything that system of record is is performance tuned and doesn't need somebody doing a select all on every table twice a day just for the fun of it, right? And so the, these data lakes and, and, and data repositories became 
the best place for them to really go in and do their exploration. And so we had to rethink and and create essentially a, a, a third mode of, okay, what are we going to do with data scientists? What's our so, strategy? So is there going to be, are we going to go quad modal when, when we bring? Yeah, potentially, <laughs> right? Exactly. And so that's, you know, with AI, organizing your data assets is, is going to become like so important. It's, it, it is essentially what is going to uh, differentiate one organization that has AI use cases this, to, to another organization that's got the same use cases, but is just not ready to implement on it because they don't have their ducks in a row. They don't have a proper data strategy and they don't have an architecture that really promotes, you know, one unified store or one unified place where all of this data exists. So that if you're building something in the AI world, in the LLM world, you have the data uh, uh, that readily available. And so potentially, yes, something that we're going to have to rethink again, maybe a, a, another topic for, for another day on your podcast. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to think about this. And sure, um, we've got to get everything lined up. But we had a vendor do a demo and a, a talk to for our senior leadership the other day, earlier this week. And um, the the thought of it was just horrifying for me because it was just like <laughs> we don't want to let these people lose to run up their own instances, you know, because the cost will blow out. They'll be using the wrong data. They won't, you know, so so we we need to do some sort of centralised approach. And the other thing now is data quality just becomes such an important issue. So, exactly, because LLMs, you know, it, it depends on which LLM model you're going to be using. Are you going to be, you know, training it or using one of the, the pre-made LLMs uh, um, that we see available now. Well, all of the above. But the the thing that I keep saying to people is an LLM can only know what an LLM knows. So a large language model only knows what's in it. And it can't know anything external to it. So you're going to have to put a layer of you think something like cognitive services. And there was one application that I was talking today with someone about and saying, I think we're going to need a layer of faceted search across that too. So these things, LLMs are not going to solve our problems. We're going to have to put together stacks of technology to, to answer our questions. So I don't exactly think a lot right. of people are understanding that just yet, but they'll work it out. Me included, right? Uh, I'm, I'm also, you know, I haven't kind of wrapped my head around how we're going to commercialize this and how we're really going to give them access to this data because you know one ideology or one methodology uh, is to is to give access to the LLM and then ask it to explore but not add that to its training right just it's already trained it's already a model have a look at this and now I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions um and then there are others that say look for specific use cases that's not going to be enough we're going to need to do a little bit of training or adjustment to the model um, to get it to behave properly. And so it's still a, a very wide topic and, and you know, lots of different options. And it's something that we're really going to need to get our heads uh, around um, as as data officers or CDOs or, or you know, technical leaders of, of any sort. Yeah. Well, the thing that I keep telling people is, is in this space, in the data space, things used to move in years and months, and now they're moving in days and minutes. Correct. And I'm, yeah. you know, I'm, keeping up with what I can, but, you know, the the changes are coming so thick and fast 
Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing how we all adjust to this, but it's a, it's a good time to be alive. It's fun. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely exciting times and uh, lots of reading and, uh, yeah. Lots of homework for We're both fun. of us. <laughs> anyway, of thank you so much for joining me to, today, Coloured. I really enjoyed our chat. Uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast too, folks. Uh, don't forget to like and give a positive review. It does help. Thanks for listening. And that is it for another episode of the Data Revolution podcast. I'm Kate Crothers. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to give the show a nice review and a like on your podcast app of choice. See you next time.